it's eye-opening when you're in your early 20s, of course, and then have the responsibility of being a leader in a, um, a deployed military unit. So you have the responsibility of soldiers in your command, um, but then you're also in a world where you can't even understand how the people dress and their social norms. From the day I signed up until the day I reported to Ranger School, I wore a weight vest, from the time I got home from work until the time I got to bed, from the time I woke up until the time I left for work. Wow. Add that extra stress into my body and make sure I understood, hey, I can walk around with weight on and I'll be okay. The ultimate compliment is to be considered an asset by those who know you. But what exactly does that mean? And how do we get there? I believe that there is a less discussed approach to becoming a person of value, a person who is successful, respected by others, and fulfilled. It's somewhere between the hustle culture and the ease and flow of manifestation. This podcast is designed to be a resource for the ambitious, the relentless, and the rare who are breaking societal norms, going against the grain, and are open to unconventional practices as we study what it takes to be a true asset in every area of life. My hope is that you'll find this podcast unique and like it enough to share it with a friend and maybe even one day join us at one of our in-person events. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? I'm super excited to have you for today's podcast. We have a guest who I'm extremely excited to get to know and to bring her to you. Her name is Lisa Jester, and I'm going to have her uh, introduce herself. Lisa, tell us about you. Hey, Autumn. Good morning or good afternoon. Um, so I am, like you said, my name is Lisa Jaster. I am an Army Reserve Lieutenant Colonel. Um, I am an executive coach and leadership development professional. But uh, what people might know me for is in 2015, Army Ranger School was opened up to women for the first time. Out of the 19 women who started the course, three of us graduated. I was one of them. Um, the thing that makes my story a little bit more unique is I was a reservist, which means I was doing Army part-time. When I graduated from the school, I also was 37 years old, where the typical age of male students graduating is 23. Wow. Um, and I also was a mother of two at, at the time. So that makes my story just a little unique um, because of the age discrepancy and the fact that Army wasn't even my full-time job when I went. Oh my goodness. So Lisa, why, like, why Ranger School? You know, um, I never had an issue with the things that I was told I couldn't do. Um, for whatever reason, it it really didn't bother me. I, I noticed it, but I had so many amazing opportunities when I was active duty military. And then when I left the military and joined the engineering community as a civil engineer doing project management for Shell Oil Company, um, I knew there were limitations out there, but I felt like I was really pushing those limitations and then um, this opportunity came up. There was a army-wide questionnaire. Hey, if you're a woman, would you be interested in going to ranger school? And my sergeant major, who for anyone who's not military, that's the senior most um, enlisted is the word we use, but it, it's it's the doer. It's the senior most doer in an organization. Mm. He he told me, Hey, you should, you should probably do this. And, and I told him I liked room service and I was kind of past living in the woods for extended periods of time. And so he and my husband kind of, uh, got into a dark corner and whispered in each other's ears. And then my husband was like, you know, 
you never said you wanted to go to ranger school, but but what if other people want to go and they don't have 37 years of life experience? Like, yeah, young people can physically make it through, but this is a, this is going to be a mental challenge being one of the first women to, to try to break through that barrier and doing it as somebody who already has a secure home life, a great full-time job, a supportive husband. Remember, this is coming from my husband, yeah. um, a supportive husband. Like mentally, you you've got you've got the kit bag to be mm-hmm. able to push through challenges that are more than just physical. So mm-hmm. really, my husband was my driving factor to go to Ranger School. That is amazing. Is he in? Is he in the military? Yes, yes. We actually the reason why I'm a reservist is he and I were active duty, but he was in the Marine Corps while I was in the Army, and it's really hard to get co-located. So we both got off active duty and uh, became reservists so we could live in the same country. <laughs> yeah, no big deal, right? No big deal. <laughs> it made having a family a little easier. Wait, okay. So how I like to do things is I'm going to go back and then I'm going to come forward, okay? But so Lisa, take me back. Because uh, the reason, you know, and I said this to you prior for like, prior before I press start was I really want, you know, the women on this podcast to realize that they can literally do anything they set their minds to. And I know, you know, we have a lot of women getting into law enforcement and in law enforcement really coming up against some stuff, right? Like they just feel, you know, like they can't or they can't fit in or all of the things. And so having you on here being like, look at this, look what I just did. Like (laughs) is really, it's, it's like the, you know, the first, what, like three minute mile, you know what I mean? Or, you know, it, it's, it's just seeing somebody be able yes. to do that, you know? So, but before you became Lisa today, extremely accomplished, take me back. Like what made you, what set you on this truck of being, you know, this badass that you are? I, I still am hoping to someday be a badass. So I think that's a, a funny way to categorize me. Um, I actually made a joke. I was do I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm 45 years old. There's a young kid in there and I keep asking him to try to give me some cauliflower ear because no matter what I do, I still look, I'm still 5'4 at 140 pounds and I don't look tough. Right. And I figure if I get some cauliflower ear, somebody will think I'm a badass. But to answer your actual question, Autumn, instead of completely tangent, um, <laughs> You know, I've I've never been happy with what I had. So when I was a little kid, I would I would take all my books home from school just in case I had a chance to back when we carried books, mm-hmm. in case I had a chance to study a little bit more on the weekends. Totally nerdy. Um, I wanted to be a ballerina at one point in time, and so I remember myself in like fifth and sixth grade standing in church practicing how to hold my arms and practicing my turnout and just trying to figure out little ways of being a little bit better every day. Mm. So I think that's been ingrained in me because when I was really young, my mom used to constantly bark at my brother and I saying, never say I should have, I could have, or I would have. So even the first time I took an airplane, I brought a backpack full of books in case I had time to read them all. And, and, and I've kind of had this, how can I become the most efficient person possible so that every moment it's not, it's not work all the time, mm-hmm. but it's always getting a little bit better. And, and a lot of what drove that is I had a lot of successes and I had a really, really good support team. So if I got good grades or if I did something, 
my mom's like, okay, yeah, that's great. Now what? So you got A's. Well, what are you going to do with those A's? And then I went to college and got beat down and I couldn't get A's anymore. Okay. Well, what can I get a little bit better at? So I took extra PE classes because I wasn't getting the material. I wasn't a straight A student. So I was like, oh, I'll I'll do more physical fitness because I excel at this and I can get even better. So I guess it's that trying to be 1% better every day attitude. Lisa, you said you went to college. What'd you go to college for? Um, so I did go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Mm. Um, and, and I got a degree in civil engineering. So I got a bachelor's and then later the army paid for me to get my master's in civil engineering. And did you always know that you wanted to go into the military? I figured it out in about seventh grade. Um, really? So for me, the first Gulf War, 1991, occurred when I was in seventh grade. And I thought, God, you know, you see all these people on TV and they're pretending to be heroes. Um, and I'm sure the, the LE community feels the same way. Mm-hmm. And then you see somebody who's a real life hero, like actually saving people, not pretending, not getting beat up and suddenly being able to stand up or run through a gunshot wound, but real people who get shot and get hurt and fall down and, and figure out and find the intestinal fortitude to continue to drive on. Mm -hmm. And I saw these people on TV during the first Gulf War. And I was like, these are heroes, not somebody wearing a costume and pretending who had their words written for them, but these people are heroes. And, um, you know, a couple months later, my grandmother sent me a book written by one of the first women to ever go to the United States military Academy and graduate in 1980 And um, it's called In the Men's House. And I read this book and I was like, oh, my God, this is really hard. This is not something a lot of people have done before. And when you come out, you're wearing a costume. And at that time, it's called battle dress uniform. And you get to be a real world hero. And I thought, well, that's that's what I want to do. And and like I said, for your community, I'm sure a lot of people felt that same way. It's it's the pay sucks. The work hours suck. Uh, the risk at work sucks, mm-hmm. but for some reason you love every minute of it. And if you see someone that's got a similar identifying mark, mm-hmm. uh, my brother was a volunteer police officer in Santa Paula for, for a number of years. And, you know, we would go somewhere and if you see somebody who has kind of those issued shoes mm-hmm. or they have a Velcro patch on their backpack and you're like, come here, let me buy you a beer. Yeah. And it's that, that permanent community it totally went off. off. That's it's okay. That's perfect. That's perfect because we're getting to know who you are and you're, you know, is you are incredibly inspiring and very well accomplished. But what I want people to see is that you're human. (laughs) I want them, you know, barely just a little bit, maybe not fully Lisa, but no, I just, I, I just, I want people to see that because I think sometimes we really get into our heads about the shit that we can't accomplish. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, maybe because of outside influences or our parents or whatever, you know, society or whatever, the police departments or the military, yada, yada. We get into our heads about it. You seem like you are a person who you don't really get into your head about it. Do you just like put your nose down and you just grind and that's it? Like, how do you do that? Autumn, you know, what really bothers me is when other people undermine your accomplishments and and you see it on so- social media is one of my favorite places. I I only go on twice a day, first thing in the morning and at night. So I post in the morning and I reply in the evenings, or at least that's my goal. And I love people watching, oh, you've, or people saying things like, oh, you've got good genetics. No, you don't. Like 
you've worked your butt off for those legs for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I say, when you ask that first question, how did I end up being the way I am? It started in elementary school and middle school. And for all these people who are out there doing these amazing things, or they're trying to be whatever their dream is. And specifically when you're talking about law enforcement or first responders, you know, that doesn't happen in a day. That doesn't happen in a year. You don't suddenly become physically fit. You've been building up to this for years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of us who have crested our pinnacle, maybe like at 45, I don't know how many, I'm not going to be breaking any records or or doing anything amazing. I'm going to try, but I don't know how much more I have in me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for everyone who's still trying to reach that point, you know, I got people saying to me, oh, well, was ranger school easy for you? Or was this... No, you've been working on it for years. You just didn't know it. Like mm-hmm. by the time, by the time you know in your heart that you want to go to the academy, or whether it's the police academy, the fire academy, or uh, West Point, you've already been working on that internally for a decade, and it's not going to be easy for you. But you've been doing it for ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. Yeah, that's so good. I, I'm just sitting here thinking about that. It's like, yeah, you just don't know that you're actually working towards some, whatever it is, you don't know that you've been being prepared for this thing. Now, now let me ask you this. Okay. So, you know, and you said in seventh grade, you're like, okay, I know I'm going into the military. What made you decide army? Um, I am. My dad was a class of 1968 West Point. He was army. um, So that helped, but I, I specifically thought of either the Army or the Marine Corps, but the Marines go to the Naval Academy and then need to be accepted into the Marine Corps for them. So it's not a it's not a sure thing. And I wanted to be part of the ground forces. I always uh, one of the things I love and all the military branches have advantages and disadvantages. But the Army and the Marine Corps, when we talk about our assets, we count how many people we have. So if you're in a leadership position and you say, hey, I'm a. I'm a company commander. And they're like, oh, how big is your company? My answer would be, you know, 150 people. In the Air Force and the Navy, the equipment is really one of the driving forces. So they have a boat with the crew or they have a plane with the crew. And so the crew belongs, the people belong to the asset versus the asset belonging to the people. Mm -hmm. And again, very, very different personalities are are required to be successful in each. And I was definitely the best fit for the army. That's cool. And so did you go right in at 18? I did. I did. I graduated high school on June 4th and I left for West Point on June 30th. No kidding. And like, what was that like? Tell me about West Point. So I think, I think it was awesome and horrible at the same time. I went there thinking, okay, this is America's best and brightest. And when I got there, yes, everybody is at, you know, it's it's hard to get accepted in any industry you want to get in and you truly respect, you feel like, oh my God, I can't possibly hang with these people. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you want to be a professional chef. Like mm-hmm. when you get into that top tier school, you're like, holy crap, I am one, I have made it. And then you get there and you get to know the people and you're like, wait a minute, these people are all just like me. And exactly. so it's, oh, wow, I'm as good as these other people. And then you realize, wait a second here, we're all, we're all very similar. We're all a bunch of chuckleheads. So I think um, it was fantastic in the fact that 
you know, 90% of my class or, or some crazy number graduated in the top quarter of their high school graduating class. And everybody was a high school at varsity athlete and everybody got this and everybody was national honor society. But then you, you look around the corner and, you know, all the juniors and seniors are doing keg stands just like at any other university. So it's, it's a lot of both. And it, it, it was a really good experience for me and it was the right place for me. It's definitely not the right place for everyone. And then, so you did four years there? Yes. So West Point is when you apply, you have to get a congressional nomination. You have to pass a physical, you have to take a physical fitness test. And then there's the normal college application process. Once you go in, you do cadet basic training, four years of the school, and then you're commissioned as a second lieutenant upon graduation. You only can graduate in four years. Like there's there's systems in case you get in trouble and you're a bad actor and you get kicked out and come back. And, but it's a four-year institution. There's no okay. five-year option. And then as soon as you graduate, you owe the military five years of active duty service plus three years in the inactive ready reserve. So where did you go after West Point? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm hope you're enjoying it and getting some good stuff, mind shifting things from this. I just wanted to remind you super quick that if we are not hanging out on social media, we should be. You should come hang out with me. Um, I am the Autumn Clifford on Instagram. I'm Autumn Clifford on TikTok. And I have a Facebook group called She's an Asset. Love to have you there. Love to hang out with you and get to know you. Thank you so much for supporting my show. Let's continue. So I went to Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Missouri to, to get my initial training. And then I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia. As soon as I got to Fort Stewart, that was uh, 2001 um, and September 11th occurred. So I went over to Afghanistan very early after September 11th. And then we came back and turned around quite quickly and went to Iraq uh, in 2000. So that was 2002, 2003. Then the Army sent me back to Fort Leonard Wood to get some advanced training. That's when they paid for me to also get my master's in civil engineering and then from there, I went and was stationed in South Korea uh, for a couple of years. How'd you and like that? I got off active duty, took a five-year break in service, and, and I've been a reservist ever since. So I'm at 17 years of service at this point. Wow. And so how was Iraq and Afghanistan? You know, um, the Army has a way of everywhere they send you, you miss the place you left. Uh, I went to Afghanistan and I thought, wow, this is terrible. And then I went to Iraq and thought, wow, I miss Afghanistan. Um, it just, uh, it's eye-opening when you're in your early twenties, of course, and then have the responsibility of being a leader in a, um, a deployed military unit. So you have the responsibility of soldiers in your command. Um, but then you're also in a world where you can't even understand how the people dress and their social norms. Um, so it was, it was really good and really scary in the fact that there's so many question marks out there that um, you can't possibly ever have the answers. So it was an extended period of time of being at a higher state of readiness and alertness. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why, in all honesty, I have the utmost respect for uh, a lot of the jujitsu my jujitsu training partners are law enforcement and first responders. Um, in the military, when we're overseas, we have to have that high state of alertness mm -hmm. while we're there. But when we're in garrison, we really are in a peacetime environment. Um, but 
my, my training partners that put their boots on every morning, they're in their hostile environment from nine to five or five to nine a lot of times. And, and then they have to come home and do that switch daily versus I go for nine months, I'm on high alert, come home and get to unwind a little bit. So I have the utmost respect for, for my brothers and sisters in the first responder industry. Yeah, we talk a lot about that. The hypervigilance pattern is a killer. And um, it definitely is very different than the military that way, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we we live in our patrols. So it's uh, <clears throat> exactly what you said. So, yeah, thanks for recognizing that. That definitely is a topic of discussion. Do you, um, when you were over there, like, did you guys like form a base? And like, were you able to stay? Like, did you have to go into the community? Like, can you explain that to me? Yeah. So for engineers, we go where it's the crappiest, make it better. And then we move on to the next crappy location and make it better a lot of times. Um, And that's because I was working, I was in what's called a combat heavy unit. All the unit titles have changed now and the makeup of the military has changed, but this was 20 years ago. So we did minefield clearing operations with heavy equipment, but we did a lot of base camp improvements and base camp um, establishment. So we would literally go to a place where there was nothing but sand. And when we left, there would be latrines, shower tents, living tents, chapels, MWR, uh, morale, welfare and recreation facilities. And sometimes we would move on. Sometimes we would stay there and push out for different missions, like building an airfield or, or building other facilities for sometimes local nationals and sometimes um, our own soldiers, uh, sailors and airmen, of course. But then as far as going in the communities, depending on the certain jobs you have, um, because I did a lot of concrete work trying to upgrade airfields, myself and our supply personnel would have to go into contracting meetings with local nationals to purchase rock and sand and water. You had to purchase water because there wasn't a lake just next door in Afghanistan. So there was some going into the community, but I was, I was not in any sort of situation where I'm wearing a burqa or trying to blend in with the local nationals. So no special forces, special operations type missions for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. But still that, that just talking to you about it stresses me right out. So (laughs) that must've been a pretty stressful, you know, situation, especially right after nine 11. Yeah. Do you, um, okay. So then you go in and you go to Korea. How'd you like Korea? I loved it and I hated it. Um, same thing, you know, you get used to what, this is going to sound really funny, but as, as an American, when you say people are American, it doesn't mean anything. It just means where you live. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it means kind of a little bit about what you have pride in. It, It tells you some things about the person, but when you go to Korea, everyone's Korean. Mm -hmm. And I walked off the airplane in Seoul for the very first time. And I looked around and everyone was Korean nationality. And, you know, I left from wherever I was, Georgia, wherever I flew out of, and you looked around and everyone who was American, they're Korean American, Chinese American, Mm -hmm. African American, like Mm -hmm. every color of the rainbow. So it was it was a cultural shock, mm-hmm. uh, which made it really interesting and fun for me. 
but it's also, it's a really small country um, with a whole lot of people. And as somebody who really likes outdoor activities, I, I hated the fact that if you go mountain climbing, there's literally a lane and 20 people trying to climb the mountain in a lane. Oh gosh. Ah, yeah. I've never been to Korea, but you know, I've heard some stories and the, and the thing is Lisa's like, like for people like me and like a lot of our listeners or not a lot, but some of the listeners who's never really done any of that kind of traveling, all we have to compare it to is like what we see in the movies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like, ah, but so then at what point, so then tell me when you went to ranger school, like what year was that? Yeah. So it was 2015, um, in 2014, it was right before my 37th birthday. I had to hand in my name, as I said, saying, yeah, I might be interested in going. And then all of a sudden in around Christmas time, right before Christmas, they're like, Hey, you said you wanted to go. Your, your higher command is willing to let you go. So we need all of this paperwork, all of these, you have to do a ranger physical and you have to get certified that you're good at all of these tactics and techniques. And we need it all by early January. And you're going to a pre-ranger training course where if you don't pass it, you don't get to go to ranger school and you're doing that in January. And it was wow. like, oh shit. Right. So I'm, a, I'm 90% civilian. Like I'm, I'm very little, little of me as military. So I go to an urgent care facility with a blank check and I'm like, Hey, I've got to get this physical. And they're like, well, that physical's only for men. Like you don't have these parts. We can't check these parts on you. So we can't complete this physical. I'm like, let's make some shit up. Here's a blank check literally. And I'm at an urgent care facility in downtown Houston. And I'm, I'm Googling with an urgent care doctor and two nurses. And we figured out how to fill out the forms. Like we're, we are literally making stuff up. I got nobody to test me on these tactics because I'm a senior officer that does army part-time. Right. So my husband happens to have a, he's in reserve Marine. He's a reserve Marine and he's in battalion command, which means he's got a bunch of active duty Marines who work for him. They come and they test me. They're like, Hey, just major Jaster, come and spend a day with us and, and we'll test you. And they taught me all this stuff and they worked through this. I mean, there were weapon systems that I hadn't carried in 10 right. years because yeah. officers don't do that, especially <laughs> the jobs I've had. And, and they, they kind of got me ready to go to ranger school. And ultimately I went to this pre-ranger course. It was a two week class. Well, not a two week class. It really was a two week test to see if you were ready and um, I ended up graduating second overall in the class. And it it was the first time that I believed I could I could actually do that. So that was January 2015. And then April 2015, we started, we started the actual course with 19 women. In August, two women graduated, and then I ultimately graduated in October. It took me a little longer than than my contemporaries. Why? Do you mind me asking? Um, yeah, I had to recycle. So if you fail any part of the course, they let you restart that part once. Um, if they deem you're salvageable as, as a ranger school hopeful, ranger school graduate hopeful. And, and so I recycled more than the other two women who graduated in 2015. Um, Chris, like I said, Chris and Shay made it through in August and then, and then I finished up in October. Yeah. Well, 
it's still pretty friggin' amazing. And let's talk about this. Your mindset. Tell me what your mindset was leading up to it. Tell me what it was going through it, Lisa. Like, what were you thinking? Like, cause you have to be, you have to be at a very high level mentally. Obviously you talked about in the beginning, um, obviously in a very high level physically, but can, can we talk about some of that? Like, what was the preparation leading up to this getting in shape? You talked obviously how, you know, um, some Marines really helped you, um, prepare like with the weapons, but like, what were you doing mentally and physically? So I think one of the most interesting facts about the first group of women that went through ranger school is, you know, they asked us September, October, if we wanted to go. And in April we were there Mm -hmm. and and we were going through that pre-course in January. So if you weren't already at peak fitness in September, October, you couldn't go. So there wasn't a whole lot of physical prep. Um, I was actually preparing. I was doing competitive CrossFit and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was preparing for an Olympic lifting competition when we found out about this opportunity. So I still haven't done an only lifting competition because I was I was gone on the, for the one I signed up for. But so physically, I was already as prepared as I could be. And one of the things in that I believe, whether it's law enforcement or um, with regards to the military, Physical fitness is an important base, not just for the fitness tasks, but if you're if you're at the edge of your or at the limit of your physical fitness, and then you have academic requirements or mental challenges, you will break. Mm. So, you know, yes, to pass my physical fitness might might have needed to be an eight out of ten. But to be able to pass the mental challenges while being exhausted, my physical fitness really needed to be a 10 out of 10. Um, So I knew physically I was already there. But what I did is I put weight on my body. So from the day I signed up until the day I reported to ranger school, I wore a weight vest from the time I got home from work until the time I got to bed, from the time I woke up until the time I left for work. Wow. Add that extra stress into my body and make sure I understood, hey, I can walk around with weight on and I'll be okay. Um, And then the mental part is knowing that my husband not only supported it, but was pushing me. Um, There is nothing more important to a successful person than their tribe. And so when people are looking at reaching for a goal or trying to exceed their own expectations, step one is to look to your left and your right and make sure you have the right support system. Mm. And if you have that guy who, when you say, Hey, I want to try something really awesome. He goes, great. Let's go grab a beer. You need to get rid of him and find somebody who wants to go to the bar, meaning a barbell, um, to help you prepare rather than to pull you away from your goals, mm-hmm. building that tribe, building that team. I had that, um, which was great for the mental preparation, but then just learning the minor skills and learning how to do them under duress. So there's some things in ranger school you have to have memorized. So I would put 50, 60, 70, sometimes 80 pounds in my backpack, sometimes a child. And there's <laughs> pictures of me with my bouncing little girl in my rucksack sitting on weight plates and we'd be hiking around and I'd be memorizing required knowledge for ranger school, because if I can have it memorized when I'm under duress, then it's easy when I'm out in a testing community. But as far as my mental state and what was going through my mind and to answer the other question, I think that's kind of out there autumn is I thought originally, I really want to be amazing. Like I want to break this glass ceiling for everyone who follows me. And after a while, 
when I was in the thick of it, I really just kept thinking, I shaved my freaking head for this. Ah! I can't go home and be a failure because it'll take me a year plus to grow my hair back out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I had hair down to the bottom of my bra line. I sent it to children with hair loss and had a buzzed head and I have scars on my head. Like I have an ugly grape. And so now I'm walking around with a shaved head. It went from, God, I want to change the way the world looks at women to, I shaved my head for this shit. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the thick of it, I just kept reminding myself that people are going to ask me about my haircut. And if I can't say, Hey, I graduated ranger school, I'm going to be embarrassed. Mm. You know, it's that I'm laughing, right? Because it is kind of funny, but it, it's really not because it's funny. The shit we have to, we have to hold on to, to get us through. Like, 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 I'm just saying, like, sometimes we can all get like real myself included. I get like real inspirational, right? Like what you said, like, oh, I want to, you know, I'm out here to change this for women. And you, I'm not saying you aren't like, clearly right. you are right. But like to get through like your hardest, darkest fucking times, it's like, listen, I shaved my head. Like we're doing this. Like that is it. Non-negotiable. And like for us women, that's a big deal. It Especially, is. yeah, that, that's a big deal, man. Like I, I'm just sitting here thinking about it and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> right, right. It was harder for me to cut my hair than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. And tell me about like, so when you were in it and you were facing hard times, was would that be like the one thing on your head or you're on your head, in your mind? <laughs> or not on my head. Or not on your head. Would that be like what's like in your mind or like, because, and the reason I'm asking you this is because I really want to give, you know, women who are in their hard times, like I want them to, what, what do they hold on to? Like, what should they be like, what could they be thinking about? Like, what was that motivation for you that just kept driving you forward? You know, in the early stages that I shaved my head for this shit was, was a great mantra. Um, I went through some, some trials and tribulations and definitely thought I was going to get kicked out and I wasn't going to succeed. And And something I noticed throughout that journey is each individual guy I had to work with, share a foxhole with, carry um, the 240 Bravo is a 27 pound gun and it's got a spare barrel and a tripod and hundred rounds that weigh a ton. Like all of that stuff is a lot. So it's a two man team that's assigned to each of those guns. And if I was carrying the gun or I was the assistant gunner and carrying all the gear, it's a heavy day. And as I kept up with my male counterpart, they would transition. Like you could physically see the mental transition for them of, oh shit, I'm paired with the chick to, hey, Ranger Jaster has my back. Like even the way they referred to me would change in in the process. And so while I was in the thick of it, being being the token female, right? And, you know, I've got the government and People Magazine calling me a social experiment and I'm just trying to do my job and do some some amazing stuff if I can and push myself past my limits. And all of a sudden I'm realizing that, wait, today I changed that one guy's mind. And that one guy who's 23 years old, he's going to go home to his wife and his kids and his military unit. And he's going to be in the army for another 20, 25 years. And he's always going to be able to say, well, I know most women can't do this, but I remember Ranger Jaster. So suddenly it, it everything changed in the thick of it. And, and it's lived on in everything I do, whether it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's being a 
a wrestling mom and knowing the difference between a half Nelson and a Merkel. And it's, it's that idea of you change somebody's life and opinion one person at a time. And that one person changes everyone else's life. So as you referred to it, Autumn, as being in the thick of it, I'd say, especially for you ladies, as you're in the thick of it, stop thinking you need to change the world. Just be the best version of yourself. And that's that's even for a stay-at-home mom, you know, be the best version of yourself so that there's one person in this world who's like, damn, she's got her shit together. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that and focus on that every day, every day is a little mountain, and suddenly you are at the top looking at the sunset. And it's amazing. But just just change one mind today. Just one. And, and that'll be a huge long-term impact. And I think, I think that's beautiful, great advice. And it also takes the pressure off, right? Because we're, we're out here and we are, you know, a lot of us listening to this podcast, working in male dominated industries, and we are fighting and we are trying to be just exactly like, I really loved your explanation of how like, you could see like, oh shit, the guys be like, oh shit, I'm paired with the chick too. And then you'd see the transition once you proved yourself, because let's, let's be honest. And you know, but I, just, truthfully, and I just want to say this, I've said this a thousand times, men have to prove themselves too. Like it's yes. not just, just women having to prove themselves. Um, we all have to prove ourselves, but I love, you know, I love your mentality behind that. And that, and that's really important. You know, it's, it's one person at a time. And like you said, from there, you, you will end up on top of the mountain with the compound effect. It will happen if you don't give up. Yes. So what do you, what's your biggest takeaway from Ranger School? Speak the way people need to hear you. And, and it's it's nested very closely in that one person at a time world because my 40-something-year-old peers, I'm post-battalion command, which means I had almost 1,300 soldiers and civilians underneath my command for two years in my part-time job. Okay, so my peers are doing that as their full-time if they're active duty. They hear my message very differently than an 18 year old who just passed boot camp. And, you know, those, their female peers at boot camp were coming straight from high school and, and high school to get. Do you remember the presidential fitness award? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think all of us, all American kids have to go through this, right? But the girls do bent arm hang and push ups from their knees while the boys do pull-ups and regular push-ups. So these 18-year-old kids that are coming from basic training that are saying women are physically weak, well, they're comparing all women or they're making assumptions about all women with this generation who just came out of a society that says, well, women can't have upper body strength. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were literally raised to think that women can't have upper body strength. But our 40-year-old male peers, they're watching the CrossFit games and they're like, damn, those girls are hot. Did you see mm-hmm. them climb legless rope climbs, you know, 20 times in a row? And, and they understand that women, men and women are built differently, but men and men are built differently. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a petite male and you say, hey, go flip this 200-pound tire. He's not having any easier of a time than an untrained female. Mm-hmm. So we just we just need to set our expectations higher. So the point of all of that yammering is that each person I speak to, whatever my message is, has to be spoken to as an individual. Mm -hmm. Now, in the military, I couldn't speak to all 1,300 of my people all the time 
individually, but there are different ways to present your message for the group. And my ranger school peers that were in their 20s, what they taught me was Maslow's hierarchy of needs hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The way we bond as women is different than the way men bond, but we still need the same bond. Mm. So I just had to figure out what works for them. And yeah, so to make a short story long, speak to people the way they need to be spoken to is really my my number one lesson that comes out of ranger school or pretty much any life lesson I could talk about. That's amazing. No, it's it's really good. Great feedback. Now, tell me, does that translate into your book? It does. It does. And one of the things I tried really hard with the book is to not make it a leadership develop. There's so many military leadership development books out there. This is just stories. And if you want to read it and, and laugh and suffer with me, um, I, I refer to my feet as tartar, um, at one point in time. So you can, you can commiserate with the stories, But if you really want to get something out of the book, there is a lot of underlying messages about teamwork, about communicating with your peers. I talk about fitting into the mystical bro bond. um, And that's this, you know, everybody thinks that once women invade this community, somehow we're going to want to have sex all the time. And we're going to want to have babies. Like, yes, you're attractive to me, but you haven't showered in three weeks and you have rashes all over you. I'm not turned on. Mm -hmm. And I've got other things in my mind. But like when women are interjected, it doesn't automatically become a brothel. It's just injected, not interjected, injected. Um, but we, we're not trying, not everybody's trying to have sex with each other or not every, we're not going to cry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the underlying messages there is that there are women out there who just want to serve their country. They just want to do the same thing that all the guys do. And, and yeah, it's really hard for a lot of these guys to believe that there's a woman out there who wants to fulfill the Ranger mission, which is to close with and destroy the enemy by any means possible. I mean, I, Dakota Meyer is a a Marine Medal of Honor winner. Um, super impressed with him. And uh, I actually get to talk to him this weekend. So that'll be exciting. That is exciting. If you haven't read his book, he kills a dude with a rock. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the assumption is no woman ever could do that. And it is, it is an extremely impressive feat. The the intestinal fortitude he has, the, the ability to not only self-preserve, but to, to try to save his teammates women don't automatically not have that. Now, not every woman has it, but guess what? Not every man has it. And so that's a lot of what is, what I hope comes out in the book is that people read this book and say, wait a minute, there's women out there that truly want to serve their country that although nobody wants to shoot the enemy in the face, they're willing to do it to protect their nation, to protect it's not that I hate what's in front of me. It's that I love what's behind me. Mm. And, and women feel that just as strongly as men do. And my hope is that the book introduces that to the general populace who maybe can't meet an Autumn or can't meet a Lisa or can't meet some of your other listeners who, who really, we're not even trying to be a badass. We're just trying to, to provide a service we are called to serve. What's the name of the book, Lisa? It's Delete the Adjective. Um, the it's delete the adjective a soldier's adventures in ranger school but uh delete the adjective is is kind of the the whole theme of 
my mission since graduating from ranger school. I don't want to be a female ranger school graduate. I don't want to be a um, middle-aged athlete. I, I just want to be an athlete. You know, I just, I just want to be a soldier. I just want to be a leader. I, I don't need any adjectives to, to limit the credibility of what I've done in my life. I love that. And where can we find the book? Amazon, Barnes and Noble, even my webpage, um, which is deletetheadjective.com. And uh, yeah, it's available audible too. So for those of us who don't ever sit down long yes. enough to read. That is, is important. Yeah. That is important. Audible. I, I love audible. Listen to so many of them. Lisa, what do you, so tell us about like what you're up to now. What, what do you got going on? Yeah. So I'm a partner in um, Talent War Group, which is a talent acquisition and leadership development firm. So um, working to do leadership development workshops, executive coaching. Um, the other half of the firm does a lot with executive place, placement, specifically working with C-suites um, and, and really working in that talent management area because that is one thing that my career has taught me, whether I was working in project management, whether I was working as a civil engineer or my time in the military, is that... Um, Recruiting good talent is one thing, but retaining good talent is really the challenge that we need to be working on. And, and because of my experience, um, I really focus on building the integrated team that's focused on innovation. Man, I got to tell you, law enforcement needs you. <laughs> retaining that talent, man, I'll tell you, that is good. And so where can we find you on the socials? I am all over the place. It's always Lisa A. Jaster. Um, I do have a blue checkbook checkmark on Facebook, um, but it's I have a delete the adjective account on Facebook and a delete the adjective on Twitter. So um, please follow me and reach out. I try as long as it's not a weird, hey, you owe me money or you promise to send me money. Uh, I try to respond to everyone who reaches out to me, at least to some degree. And I really feel like social media is a blessing. Um, because it makes this a smaller world. So you don't feel so alone all the time. I love that. And and we're going to put, we'll put your, um, your website, your Instagram, we'll put all of that in the show notes. So everybody can go ahead um, and take a look and let's make sure that we support Lisa. Um, and let's buy that book because let's just be honest. That's a great book for us, for this podcast, which is exactly why I wanted to have you on here. Lisa, it's been such an honor. Um, You are incredibly inspiring. I'm sure you hear it all the time, but definitely from the bottom of my heart, you inspire me to be better. I'm so excited for any of our listeners to listen to you. Um, Is there anything that you would like to leave us with before we say goodbye? Yeah, don't give up. So I, I talk about in the book a ton, but one of my favorite sayings is don't let the quit in. And if you give the quit a toe or a handhold into the door, it's always an option. So if quitting is just not an option, if you just say, hey, listen, I'm I'm going to push my way through this unless I un, until I die or until I get a broken bone or until I whatever is unsurmountable. It's amazing what you can accomplish. So the biggest message I'd want to leave for your listeners, Autumn, is don't let the quit in. So good. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the She's an Asset podcast. If you wouldn't mind, 
Could you please share this out? The only way we grow and I can get this out to as many people as possible is with your help. So we're kind of in this together. And the good thing is, is I know you have my back. So uh, I want to say thank you and ask for you to share the show. And if we're not hanging out in the socials, I hope that you'll come and hang out with me. I'm Autumn Clifford pretty much everywhere. Thank you so much. See you next time.